Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. On the wonderful day of April the 10th, 2014, from Coolidge, Arizona, we are in the book of Revelation, episode 46, uh, which takes us into chapter 8. We'll have some review on the earlier part of this chapter uh, tonight. If, um, if in the early goings, in the early chapters, if we have built a solid case regarding the time frame for when the book of Revelation was written and when it was fulfilled, and of course we are projecting the idea that Revelation uh, is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament and the prophecies of the New Testament are all wrapped up in the time frame of the book of Revelation. If you can visualize Revelation as a circle in your mind, uh, the first thing I'd like to add is that God has not revealed in that time frame or in any time frame in the past anything that will be new to you and me after 70 A.D. I think that's what I meant up there on that board. God has revealed nothing that will be new beyond 70 A.D. Everything is contained within the dates of this book. And I think we've, uh, we've tried to build a case that is solid uh, from the text itself. Does everybody understand what we're saying there? Now, on the other hand, there are some things that began in the time frame of the book that continue beyond 70 A.D. And, of course, that's the victory of the church. That's the situation of faith. Uh, that's the... Um, the new covenant, the new heaven, the new heaven and the new earth continue beyond, but they all were consummated as their origin within the confines of the dates of the book of Revelation. But when we get into Revelation, get deeper into it, we'll find some things that are referred to there uh, where the, um, the consequences or the residual of those things that are dealt with, continue on. The church did not end with 70 A.D. That's really where it didn't begin there, but that's where it, become, it became the only avenue to God was in 70 A.D. And the 
law, the old covenant uh, went away with the uh, the temple. All right, you see those two points? I'm saying this now because as we go down the line, there will be some things that are talked about where the effect of what takes place continues beyond 70 A.D. There are some things that are extended beyond and are there permanently. And we, we need to keep that in mind. But there is no revelation of God, no prophecy of God that deals with any new thing that the church can look forward to but what has already been accomplished by the time we come to the end of the book of Revelation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. That was a pretty weak yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Forms the guidelines of the study or it deforms them. Right, whichever side of the fence you're on on yeah, that. That's right. Yep. And that's why in the first few chapters, you know, way back in ancient history when, when we began this, we spent a lot of time on the time issue, the, the timing. And so we, don't need, to, we need, don't need to go back and rebuild that. I think we had a solid case uh, at that time. So we are building on that. But these two projections I wanted to uh, zero in on tonight to begin with. Now, back in verse 3, we have a scene in verse 3 that reads like this. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. Now, did anybody do any um, or able to find anything additional on the golden censer? Did you... You know, can you was, hear her on the recorder? I was pretty disappointed. Um, there's a lot about the ritual, a lot about how it's to be conducted, but not much about the implement itself. Okay. I found a couple of things. Um, one is from Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. Uh, one is from the Jewish Virtual Library. And there was one from Easton. Uh, Bible Dictionary. And, you know, they list a couple of things. Like Gills here says, there were various censors used by the priest in the daily service, but this was a peculiar one, which was used by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. On other days, he used a silver censor. Oh, that's exactly what I... But on that day, a golden one, and with it, he entered into the Holy of Holies. And he gives a reference which is this, what I've got here uh, from the Jewish Virtual Library. Well, that, that was precisely what I suggested, mm-hmm. that I couldn't find any Bible documentation for there it. There isn't any. There isn't any. There isn't any. Okay. Not that I could find. Okay. okay. Uh, it says, every day he scooped up with a silver censer and emptied it into a golden vessel. On this day, he filled a golden censer and also carried it in. Now, this is from the Jewish Virtual Library. Okay. Excellent. Uh, the other one was Easton Bible Dictionary. And it says, the censers in daily use were of brass. And he says, uh, his 
reference here is Numbers 1639, and were designated by a different Hebrew name uh, while those who were used on the Day of Atonement were gold and were used, were designated by another word. But I don't think that's quite right because, well, that's just my opinion, because the two words mean basically the same thing. So why he gets different colors out of them, I don't know. But And there's, I don't know about, Number 16. Numbers 1639. And he gives the Hebrew word there for both of them. Uh, One, uh, he says, means something to take fire with. And the other one means a fire pan. Isn't that the same thing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. To me, it's the same thing. Well, I spent 15 minutes looking at fire fire pan on the internet and and found found yeah. both biblical and non-biblical references to that device. So yeah. But, but none of them mention anything other than gold. And well, he says brass here in numbers. He also I also have a reference to Josephus here from Gill's, but I could not find it. Maybe it's in hers instead of mine, but. Uh, it, it says, um, and Moses does not call it a golden one. That's from Leviticus. He says, yet Josephus does. And so do the Jewish doctors in the place referred to with whom the apostle agreed. This is from Hebrews 9, when I looked that up, and, and uh, Paul was talking about the censer in the, in the mm-hmm. temple. And I couldn't find hmm, anything. He he quotes here, you know, Revelation eight three, which is what we were, you know, doing. That's what we were doing. Yeah. So, and it was a gold censer, and uh, and they relate it to the Day of Atonement, mm-hmm. and that the previous days of that feast uh, were they used silver. In your first article mentioned. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 9.4. Okay. I did not find this reference in Josephus. So. This is in Antiquities, and I tried to find it, and I couldn't. There's a 1.3.c.8.section3. I looked right through this book and couldn't find it. Okay. Anything about a silver censer. One of the things that I read, Dave, was it was a... Uh, from a Jew, the website was, you know, Judaic, and said that the center wasn't nearly as important in a biblical reference as the, as the smoke that the embers produced. Yeah. Now, what do you take of that? What do you make of that? Well, I think I would agree with that. Um, it was just a tool, but without it, you wouldn't have any way of transporting the coals from the bronze altar to the altar of incense. It was a transporting device. Well, the incense, what it did was created, you added incense to the coals, and of course that gave them the incense, but they were it was just a vehicle. Tool, like you said. Tool. But 
things in Jerusalem are worth copies of things in heaven. So it is important there's a gold one. Yeah. Because that's the one in Hebrews 4 where it says the gold one is found behind the veil. Yeah. Um, Part of the tabernacle. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's the one they use there, not and the one they use outside. And I want to make sure that gets recorded. That was Hebrews nine four. Yes. And three and four actually. Three and four. Okay. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiness of all, mm-hmm. which had the golden censer. Yeah. And the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold. So that's where it was found. Okay. Of course, in heaven. That was done in the presence of God, so obviously you're in the same area. That's right. Figuratively. Well, in reality, there. <laughs> yeah. I think that. This is all from the Mishnah, but which is you know one of the, part of their writings, for the Jewish writings. But he doesn't give any references. Oh. Okay. You know, he just says that's the way it was. Yeah. Every day he scooped up with a silver censer. And emptied it into a golden vessel, but on this day he filled the golden sister and carried it in. Uh huh. That's all he said. And that's how I remembered it, but I haven't been able to document that. So at least, at least we've documented what we said last week as not being off the wall. At least we have a. That's good. Thank you, Alana, and Nolan, and Neil, and everybody else who's participated. Um, I like that. That that's good information. And some of these things are, are very, very difficult to get any anything solid. What can I once again for I think the twenty fifth time or whatever try to remind everyone I'm having trouble with the, imagining that there's smoking embers and coals in heaven with oxygen to feed them and then angels throwing them down at the earth. That's why and then reports of fire during Yeah. That's why this is a vision. You see, if it was it was real, it wouldn't be a vision. When Paul went into the third heaven, what he saw was not a vision. What he, what he saw was um, uh, was so in unable to be expressed. Unlawful. Unlawful. So. See, I've got a whole different scene there, but this is a vision. We always have to keep in mind that it's what what is presented to John to see and to see in such a way that he can put it into words. But Paul said what he saw cannot be put into words. It would be unlawful to do so. See the difference, the contrast? I, I do. So we're dealing with different things. So... What is the scene in verse 3? What is the scene? You probably don't know exactly what I'm after. But um, is it a fishing scene? Is it a uh, um, parakeet tool shop scene? Or is it a temple scene? It's exactly what they did in the temple. It's exactly what they did. It is a temple scene. Now, what are the props in this scene, in verse 3? Well, 
All right, the altar, uh, the censer, so those are some of the props. So what kind what kind of heaven would this be then to the audience? Would be would this be the heaven that Paul, who says that what I saw is unlawful to tell you about, or is this heaven to the reader of this, does he see this as the Jewish heaven? Jewish heaven, because John is a Jew looking on these things. These are things he recognizes. He recognizes them. He knew what they were. Good. You got you got it. That's that's what I... So what difference does that make? Well, if you got a temple scene with the props, that we all know of were a part of the tabernacle or the temple. Then we have a picture here of a Jewish heaven that John could recognize, that he could record. He recognized the props, was able to tell us in writing what he saw. So I think it's easy then to come to the conclusion that he is, describing to us here the Jewish heaven. The Jewish heaven. Any problems with that? All right, now back to tonight's notes. Um, But we're actually on last week's text in verse 4 yet. There's something else I want to, I want to, oh man, um, I spent too much time on that tonight. What? Brush stroke. stroke. Yeah, got to get the big picture here. (laughs) Um, In verse verse four, whose prayers reach heaven? We need to remember that. And and their prayers reach heaven with what? Now I'm going somewhere with this. So All right. And let's let's look at uh, Psalms. I thought this was a an interesting passage in Psalms 141. Psalms is um written with poetic form, not po- not poetic form as we know it, but Hebrew poetry, mm-hmm. a little different. But 121 and verse 141, 141, now we're going to read verse 1, but we're really after verse 2. O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. In in other words, God, when I speak, shape up. Is that how we pray? We're timid. I've had people who've had real strong voices, but when it comes to prayer... They mumble. 
Oh, Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. <laughs> now, that's coming to God as, as the Bible, the New and Hebrew says, we're to come with confidence to the Lord, with strength. But verse 2 is what we're after. May my prayer be counted as incense before you. I think we've got a wonderful picture going on here. The, the incense, the, you know, what made the prayers acceptable was that they were from the saints and then the incense made them more than just acceptable but a pleasing aroma to God. But do we use incense today? We have the difference that really forces this into a Jewish heaven is that today our prayers aren't coupled with incense. Nor need they be because we have a mediator. I think that's First Timothy 2.5 maybe. We have one meter between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Um, either First Timothy two five, yeah, that that is said it. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, uh, the man Christ Jesus. One God, one mediator. There's no smoke there. There's no incense there. He is the incense. He is the one that bridges the gap between us and God. But you see, under the Jewish age, that wasn't true. They needed the incense. So, what does that for? Where, how does that force us? Uh, where, where does that force us in our thinking about the time frame of this scene? During the Jewish age, it has to be during the Jewish age when they still understood what was going on. If it was written in our age, that would not have been used, would it? Because we don't have, we're not instructed to have incense today. The apostles. Not by the apostles. You see my point? Okay, then we'll. So we, we have a mediator, and if we could get by with incense, we wouldn't need a mediator. But why does he even insert the prayer factor here? And as you think think about that and ponder that, he has inserted the prayer factor in whatever verse that was. I've got a page here, but I've got to turn back. In verse verse 3 and and verse 4, verses 3 and 4. We read those last week, but I'm trying to cover uh, a bigger picture. I'm trying to get the portrait. 
Why insert the prayer factor now and the fact that he has, what do you think the prayers were about that we can determine from why they are inserted here, in this place, in this sequence of events? What do you think these prayers were about? Well, I think that's, I think that's a broad term. I think I think I, I couldn't say no to that. The Jews were in great tribulation during this time, and, and I and I'm going to and that's true too, and I couldn't say no to that either because that's true, that's true, but it's not quite where I want to go. See, I'm I'm forcing you to struggle with me a little bit. I want you to struggle with me. No. No, uh, well, it could be. I, no, I, I certainly couldn't say no to that either because all of your answers are right because we've discussed those things in previous lessons that would certainly include those. What I'm after is is that what is going to take place after this prayer scene tells me that what is going to take place is the answer to their prayer, and that is that there be justice. Not their justice, but fire from heaven, that there be a purging of, um, you know, of the world. I I, I thought it was one of the the ladies that came in. The kids don't bother me any. Do they bother you guys? No. When you say a purging of the world, that 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 censor full of hot stuff was aimed at Jerusalem. That's right. Right. And that was the Jewish world. That's what our, and we'll, we'll go there too. So I think the prayers then were long term, the saints had been praying. And remember in chapter six, I think, they were being stored in golden vessels. Remember? And they were before the throne, the prayers of the saints. Now we have them being released and mixed with incense. Now, what these people had been praying for was the end of Judaism and the total and complete, uh, the, the, the completion of God's plan for man. And to, in order to get there, we have to, we have to end Judaism. We have to end the law. We have to, we have to crush the temple. And I think that the people who were saints who knew that were praying for that event. That's why it is, in my opinion, you don't have to agree with this, is these saints knew what to pray about, as very likely many of them Jewish saints. They wanted to see the completion of God's revelation to man, and as long as the temple stood, it would never happen. I think they knew what to pray about. They were praying about the thing that in the very next section becomes a fulfillment, and that's why this prayer factor is put in this location right now, because immediately the trumpet sounds. 
after he gets done with the prayer factor. Telling these people about what they have been praying for for 30, 40 years, now the time is right. What? Do you have any thoughts on the angels aiding these prayers, the angels putting their hands, aiding the, or, or bringing these, I guess, before God, or, or making them more central in his vision with their hands and with incense? Because it says, because that's just exactly what it says. It's, it almost sounds like the, the, you know, the angels that are described in that verse are almost pleading with the people for God's attention on it or something. I, I can't really wrap my hand around it, but they, they're, they have more than just a minor role here, or it wouldn't be mentioned. I understand it's not the main point. In verse 2, we have the seven angels. They're standing before God, and they have seven trumpets. So we have, we have the trumpets set. Now he goes into the prayer factor in verses 3 and 4. And the angel came and stood at the odor. He has the golden censer. He was certainly the messenger, certainly was the one um, who was instrumental in putting the saints together with the incense so that God could experience it. They were certainly instrumental in that. I'm not sure that they have another role. Verse 4. With the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Uh-huh. Oh, I oh I see what you're... Okay. So out, out, and they came out, the prayers of the... The smoke of the incense came out of the angel's hands. And of course... What were the angels holding? They were holding the. They were they were given much incense, and they were holding a golden censer. They were holding the censer, so when it came, and 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 they, uh, uh, incense was given. They they were holding an, an angel. In verse three, has the golden censer, and then incense was given to him. He adds it yes. to the prayers of the saints. Yes. So so far we're so good. Yes. And uh, then it, and, and it's um, uh, the golden altar. That's the altar of incense, which was before the throne. Lana talked about that. Mm-hmm. And the smoke of that incense, with the prayers of the saints, went up to God out of the angel's hand, out out of that censer went up before God. They were instrumental. I'm not sure how much more you can get out of it. I'm, I'm, I guess maybe I need you to clarify a little bit more where you wanted to go. I think something about, I, and this, this is a personal thing, something about that, the way that that's worded is touching to me. Okay. It's an expression of love. and But I fear that I... I'm not seeing it right. I think there might be more to it. It might be an expression of power as well, or unity. Unity between the saints, the angels, and the Father. Oh, that's a good point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Certainly the will of God. Everything that's happening here is, is everything's in order. 
when I was doing all my research, this is a perfect picture of what happened in the temple uh, every day. And on the Day of Atonement, when it says that the uh, golden censer was used and much incense was given to him, on the Day of Atonement, it was double portions. Oh, interesting. I have that right here, yeah. Yeah. Um, and on that day, he carried a censer with a short handle because it was heavy. And he added, you know, extra weight to it with the with the incense and all. And on that day, it wasn't just, the gold wasn't just yellow, it was red. They've got like six or seven types of gold that they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and what they used this gold, what it symbolized or whatever. But on the Day of Atonement, it, it was red gold. Mm-hmm. It, like I said, it, this right here, it's, it's um, on all days he used to offer half a mina of incense in the morning and one half in the evening. But on this day, added a handful more. Every day it was pounded finely, but on this day it was the finest. Got all that? That's good. Good, good background stuff. Thank you. Very I good. I love it when things are, are broken down into nuts and bolts, don't you? Yeah. I like understanding what I'm reading about. Yeah. Making some great points there. Yeah, really. Um, so the the prayer... The prayer came, the prayer before God responded, the prayer came first. What God would have done without the prayer, I don't know. But we don't, we're not told that. But the prayer came first, and that would be, you know, that, that would be uh, in verse 4. Then, you see, the, see in verse 5, the then... Then, after the prayer, after this situation with the prayer being submitted to God out of the angel's hand, then, see, that ties it together. That, that's right. This, then the sequence. So then, so we discussed some of the things about that last week, but the prayer came, then he threw the censer, filled it with the fire of the altar, and threw it to the earth. We suggested that's the Jewish earth. And then look what happened. So what came first was the prayer, and now we are beginning to find out about the answer to those prayers, which tells me that these Christians were praying for what was going to take place here. And that's, that's what God was functioning on, was the prayer of the saints in their request. Then, here's what he does. It's like, the prayer factor is interjected here for a very specific reason. Now, you can have any view on Revelation that you want to, but if you just take this out, 
just this little section and talk about just what's happening here without its relationship to the book as a whole. You have uh, a beautiful, beautiful picture that John is portraying of the place of prayer in releasing God to do the work that they are requesting. It tells us something about prayer, that their prayers must have been about what it was God was about to do. They knew what to pray about, and what they were praying about is what begins to take place in the fulfillment or the answer to their prayers. Do we have in our library Smith's Bible Dictionary? And I, uh, yeah, we do. I see it right there. Boy, you're quick. What I, I have a reference here, uh, Alex, uh, Volume One, Part Two. Oh boy. Uh, well, look, look up the word all censors. Uh, Uh, S-C-N-S-O-R-S. Well, that doesn't help us any. Uh, I had a note that I had put in my Bible with that in it, and I thought there was more to it, but I couldn't get it. Uh... Yes, the word rendered censor probably means the altar of incense. I've run across that time and time and time again. Okay. All right, well, we'll, we'll go. So in verse 5, now, we have the prayers beginning to be answered, and that's why it begins with then. See, he's dealt with the prayer factor. Now, he's going to begin to answer their prayers. How long have these saints, plural, corporately, been praying for these things to take place? We don't have a clue. But reading it now yeah and reading it beforehand that see they were reading this because John recorded this distributed it to the seven churches they were reading this and and uh, being blessed by that reading Yep. Reminds me of Second Thessalonians chapter one, and uh, where judgment is rendered on the enemies of God yeah. because of. And Paul speaks. Paul speaks of the uh, the 
the, the, the concern of the uh, church on uh, those that are persecuting them. Yeah, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And, and um, we, ought to, uh, we ought to add that to our notes. That's a, that's a great passage, Neil. Yeah. Starting there about verse 3, I guess. Yeah. Second Thessalonians what? one. And verse and acts and more specifically just for the a time frame right now, Nolan uh, verse six specifically mm-hmm. and verse six and seven. Um the time frame there when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. In flaming fire. Um, that's that's a good one to put in our notes. Second the Thessalonians chapter one, verses three through what? Um, and that's addressing verse five. That's what we ought to attach it. Yeah. Right. That's where I put it in any in, in way here. I might add at the end of verse 5, it speaks of the fire and then the lightning and flashes and the earthquake. And there was only one earthquake during that period. And it was recorded in December of 66 A.D. Really? There was a great earthquake that killed... Um, and it was during the period of the uh, two witnesses. Uh, also, the city was being uh, strict, uh, stricken with uh, plagues. Uh, there was a great earthquake. A tenth of the city fell, and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And that's from those that were there, of course. What's your source? The source is Josephus. Josephus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Although he wasn't there in December of '66, he was already gone. But but when he when he came back, and of course after the whole event, he uh, spent a lot of time collecting the rest of the data. But he was there for the early earlier time. I think he left in about '65. Well, that's that's uh, good backup material. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, it ties that earthquake. Uh, all these things are. This is Jerusalem we're talking of. Yeah. Well, and that's why I wanted to spend time with the, uh, establishing the the scene of verse three right. is the Jewish heaven. Yeah. It's the Jewish heaven. So when he talks now about the earth, he's talking about the Jewish earth. Yep. So the the, the so you know we we look at the props of the Jewish heaven, 
and the props of the Jewish earth were, of course, you know, Judea, the big picture, but Jerusalem in particular, and the the temple. Uh, heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. Judah and Jerusalem. Yep. As it's always phrased. And Jesus in Matthew 5, yeah. about all of these things, his words will, until heaven and earth pass away. Yeah. This is the event when they do. That's right. That's right. Okay, well, folks, you know our time is up. That would be darn near impossible for a casual reader to ever be able to know that or make that distinction. Yeah, but if you're looking at Matthew 5, 17 and 18, mm-hmm. if you're reading that casually, that's one thing. But if you read it carefully, then you have to come to an agreement that it says that the law will continue until heaven and earth pass away. So you'd have to say then, as a reader, even if you knew nothing about it, that we are still under the old law. Yeah, that's right. I taught it as this is a true paradox. Is this true? Yeah. What Jesus was saying? Or is there something that we don't understand here? And that's a good springboard to yeah, the whole idea of that. Um, once you get that verse straight, then you don't really have any trouble with Revelation because it, it, it clears it all up. It has to be one way or the other. We're, if we do, if most, even even the uh, the futurists today still, you know, believe that we have a new covenant. But that verse says you can't have a new covenant until heaven and earth pass away. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> I don't know that he knew, but you know, that's what he said. Well, we have to. I had to add that because. Uh, apparently, people don't put that together. Yeah. Let's go one verse and we'll close in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 49. I want to start with, I'm just going to read quickly in verse 14 and 15 first. These are in your notes there under verse 5 on tonight's lesson, which is going to be as far as we get. We're almost up to where we were last week. But verse 14, and do not and do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. Don't give any room for any deviation from what I've said. Boy, that's a hard concept. But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I have charged you today, then all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And there are, you know, there, I have it listed as seven curses. There's actually, depending on how you break them down. But let's go over to verse 48 and 49 now. That the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops 
down a nation whose language you shall not understand, a nation of fear countenance who will have no respect for the old nor show favor to the young. And that goes all the way through the rest of that chapter, and he's describing what happens to Israel if they mess up. And if we won't take time to read all of it, but folks, it's good reading. Take your time if you read it. Read it carefully. Don't think about necessarily figuring out all the little nuances with it, but remember that he is describing what will happen to Israel and what really did happen to them with the fall of Babylon. But the same language that is used there is going to be used in here. So we don't have to guess as to what he's talking about because these people have violated God, violated his word, and there are consequences when you do so. And that's what he's dealing with here in chapter 8. All right, we'll end there for tonight. Any questions, comments? Thank you all for your great participation tonight. I, I really like it when we gather material and, um, and express it. It's very helpful. Okay, let's uh, pray. Father, some of these things are not always easy, but we pray for wisdom to stay with it and uh, to always have as our intention to be true to what is meant and said. May that be our objective. And may, Father, as we study these things, it also help to nurture our spirit as well as our mind and to help us to appreciate your goodness that we must be true and remain true to what is right. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.